from Mopi.co. This is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the economy, the stock market, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, again, just a very confusing week as we ramp up into the really busy season here in the economy. Audience, I want you to first just forgive me on the front end here. September is known for two things. One, it's where we really start sprinting to Q4 and really, you know, make the most profits we are going to in a lot of sectors of the market. And it's also known for if you are any kind of parent, it being uh, catching every kind of bug season as the school year starts. So I'm a little bit under the weather as I plow through, I don't know, any number of tiny diseases I've acquired from my child. So thank you so much for dealing with my low energy here. But let's actually talk about audience, the kind of confusing moment we have in the market right now, because as always, to sort of go through what's happening in the market, I'm joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, man, what's good, dude? Um, I'm really confused about this market, and I'm hoping we can really start like making sense of it together. Yeah, definitely. Um... I mean, the summer's over. People are starting to get back into it. Uh, obviously, inflation, everything the Fed's doing is front of mind. So there's a, a lot to discuss today. Um, it seems like every week in the market just brings uh, a new set of mysteries. Exactly. And this this particular back half of this week, this first week of September, is bringing some of the most mysterious bifurcating indicators I've seen in a really long time. Uh, the Dow right now is pumping. Bitcoin and the NASDAQ are popping. Bitcoin's up 10% just today alone. Um, in, I guess in, in anticipation that the CPI might be a little bit better news when that comes out on September 13th. But in the exact same breath, Justin, um, we look at institutional traders too here at Moby.co. We try to understand the narrative here. And I'm watching as call versus put option gets sort of sold across various exchanges. Um, $8.1 billion in put options were sold this week uh, across various institutions, whereas people were only buying $1 billion in calls. What that means is, is there's about 8x the number of people betting the market's going to go down or there's 8x the amount of money saying oh everything's doomed versus like the one billion dollars saying hey market's gonna go up so justin like how do you make sense of this like this is the wildest sort of bifurcation i've seen in terms of like the directionality the market can go right now like does this mean the cpi is going to be good bad so so or is it just like we're all kind of confused just taking shots in the dark over here yeah and just i mean it's a good question just to clarify on that for for those of you not familiar basically traders investors all like will buy options uh to to hedge their bets or to bet on the direction of the market so if they're buying call options uh they believe that the market should go up uh over the next several months or whatever the time period will be and if they're buying put options they are betting that the market will go down or at the very least if it does go down that they can protect their portfolio usually it's in somewhat of a balance it obviously skews one way or the other but in the last um, in the last month, there's a number that really just stood out that we've never seen before. And to Peter's point, that's the eight billion dollars worth of put options versus the one billion in call options. So that outsized kind of metric is is really extreme. So extreme that the last time we actually saw this was in 2008, which I know people always point to individual metrics and say, you know, this this was the last time it was this bad, and this is ultimately what happened. It's it's no two events are exactly alike. So I don't want people who are listening to us right now saying, oh, okay, well, the last time this happened was 2008, the market crashed. Clearly, that's what's going to happen next. So that's that's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is that investors are really cautious right now. Things slowly seem to be getting better going in the right direction, but it's not necessarily over. Jerome Powell really, like, 
has been standing firm on this inflation goal, ultimately to bring it back to the 2% target, which is still a long way away. And I think like the way to interpret this right now is that, again, investors are scared. They thought this would be over by now. It's not. It looks like it might be done next year. And they're just pushing out the date. So a lot of investors are really starting to buy these put options in order to hedge themselves on the downside should things get progressively worse or take longer than we expect. So long story short, you know, don't think the market is coming to a screeching halt tomorrow. But again, as we've been telling you guys for a while now, just to continue to be cautious, continue to take this long-term mindset, because time to trade around this and trying to profit in the short term is, is just a sucker's play. Exactly. And I think one thing that's really important to point out here, too, is that most, I would say 90% of institutional investors, when they buy put options, uh, first of all, they're buying that as a hedge against, you know, volatility they potentially see in the market. Because most folks are just saying, well, I don't want unlimited gains. I'm not in the holdle gang or whatever. I just want to make a certain amount of money and then, you know, make sure that I am going to, like, not lose, like, my 8% or my 9% or my 10% year over year growth goals. So when you see put options, you're not really seeing somebody saying, oh, market go down, you're seeing somebody saying, oh, Christ, uh, the market's getting a little goofy. I better take out some insurance against that. Um, we're going to be demystifying options a lot more moving forward. And that's a quick hint for some cool stuff we have coming on the product side as soon as we finalize a couple of extra details to your audience. But I want to make sure that you have that in mind. But Justin, one thing that you know the audience immediately pushed back on, it's not that this is the same as 2008. This disparity, 8, 8x versus 8.1 billion versus less than a billion, is three times worse than 2008. So is it just like a bunch of insurance, a bunch of new retail investors have finally having access to options plays? Or is that level of like, oh, wow, the volume's really high, something to be concerned about? I mean, it's definitely something to be, be concerned about. I just would like, you know, who bought them, why they bought them. None of that information is published. So it's hard to like jump to any conclusions. Having said that, like, yeah, we haven't seen such a big disparity in years. Um, so it definitely is alarming. It just if anything, give is, gives you kind of like a gauge of the overall sentiment in the market right now, which is clearly there's fear. Clearly, they think there could be some sort of downturn over the foreseeable future. Jerome Powell comes out later this month uh, and ultimately is likely going to raise rates another 75 basis points, um, which seems kind of normal now. But if you went back 12 months, them raising interest rates, 75 basis points a clip four or five times over the you know the course of 2022. I don't think anyone saw that coming. Um, and we're going to be in a position soon where interest rates are starting to get quite, quite significant. You're seeing it in the real estate market with things starting to peel back because interest rates are getting so expensive. I mean, long story short, um, there's, there's very validated fear in the market. Um, I mean, we've been saying it since October of last year that we thought this was coming in some capacity. It, it ended up being worse. Um, but right now, I think for an, for newer investors, experienced investors, again, things will rebound. These are part of market cycles. Um, ultimately, the companies that are running strong, strong businesses will ultimately rebound. And then again, when you look back in a few years from now, you'll see that the numbers or companies that we've been recommending or strong companies have been outperforming and ultimately will continue to compound your wealth over time. But again, this, and we can't stress it enough, this is not a one, two, even three-year game. This is a lifelong journey in the stock market. And you just can't let the, these short-term deviations scare you too much because things will rebound, even, even if there's some like systemic event that happens that ends up being worse than anyone can anticipate in the short term.
Because the most important thing to keep in mind, audience, is that like it is human nature to become more productive. We gradually improve ourselves as a society moving forward. Up and to the right is the natural state of the market. We are constantly seeking more profit, more productivity, more ways to make sure that we are you know generating value in our economy, and that is reflected in these stock prices. That's you know why people are so you know hard up on this system, and so people people are so high on this system, and thinking about the potentiality of continuous growth and growing in different directions. So keep that in mind as well, because the other thing too is that every single moment in the market is going to be unprecedented, especially now considering all of the retail interest that is now in these derivative markets. It's really hard to know exactly um, where all these like puts and calls are coming from, and they could just be coming from people who finally have access to options for the first time, and they're buying very small individual options contracts, again, as an insurance play. In the exact same breath, too, it is absolutely bonkers watching the D the Dow Jones and Bitcoin pump. This is, could, of course, people, you know, thinking they're going to be buying the bottom if the CPI comes out a little bit, you know, better than we're thinking it could. Um, again, there's no real way to predict. There's no indication where the CPI is going to go. Oil prices kept falling across all of August, so we're hopeful that the supply side things we're going to be seeing within the CPI will keep decreasing, but that's not to say that there are other factors that could be increasing, food prices, for instance. So we're really eager for September 13th to finally hit, so we finally have some meaty topics about the state of our economy to talk about, but just keep that date in mind. This podcast, you're listening to it either on the day we record it, which is a Friday, or the day it comes out, which is a Monday. So no matter what, either three days from now or tomorrow, that's game day in terms of exactly where we are. In the same breath, people are also buying Bitcoin up a bunch because they anticipate the potential of the Ethereum merge going well, which should really kick off on September 15th. So next week's game week, y'all. Uh, it's the start of the NFL season. It's the start of the real big economy season. Like, um, you know, batten down the hatches, get ready for a wild ride. It's going to be very interesting to see where we could go because this is the big one. We saw some really positive motion in the July CPI when it came out in August. If that continues, you know, the market will explode or, you know, probably not as big as the July CPI because people are like, oh, the trend's good, but, you know, we have a long way to go. But if it's, you know, not as good as people want or much worse then you know, we're, we are right back in the, the bear happening. And so that's why you're seeing both of these kind of push in either direction because no matter what, we're going to see some big moves next week. That being said, we have to get into a moment where we're thinking about A, long-term trends and B, defensive investing. And so... This is where our audience keeps asking us questions, Justin, and for whatever reason, the strategies you put out just keep defying like what we think of as rational explanation. And of course, I'm talking about the analysis you put out this morning for our premium members. Audience, by the way, if you are just listening to this, like the free version of this podcast over on whatever podcast app, make sure you check out moby.co slash go so you can, you know, get a trial, try out what we have in terms of our research for our premium members. We're building out a huge update for our product coming out soon too so people get even more value to that but justin for our premium members today you did put out some really solid research again on constellation brands a company a stock that should not be doing good in an inflationary environment it's beverages it's physical goods they got to get shipped and yet constellation brands is still killing it justin what's the deal here why does this keep happening <laughs> yeah no it's a good question um, so for those of you unfamiliar constellation brands, you, you might not have ever heard of them, but you've definitely heard of their like subsidiary companies. They are one of the largest beverage distributors in the world. Um, and they own popular brands like Modelo, Corona, Svedka, a, a bunch of brands across beer and spirits. 
And they also have some major holdings uh, in the cannabis space. So they, they might not be known at the household level, but they are definitely known at the brand level. Um, and so for them right now, to your point, beverages shouldn't be doing well, but defensive beverages like, you know, adult beverages, those actually do well in recessionary periods. It might be a little counterintuitive, but historically those have done really well. And what's even like kind of better past that is that Constellation Brands' business has only been re rebounding over the last few years, and they've been making some really smart moves along the way. One of the, the first smart moves they made uh, was to work on their supply chain before a lot of these supply chain issues came to bay. Um, for example, like Tesla, one of the reasons they're doing so well is because they, and we've heard us talk about this on the podcast a bunch, they're becoming vertically integrated. So what that means is they're like relying less and less for all the raw materials, for the production, for the manufacturer, manufacturing of their cars and trying to do more and more in-house. They don't have to worry about any supply chain issues or external issues. Um, and so Constellation Brands is actually doing the same exact thing and they're doing it. Um, they started doing it years before this really started becoming an issue. Not to get too off track here, but we've talked about this also before. Globalization was this big trend over the last 30 to 50 years where companies were outsourcing a lot of parts and labor to other countries where it was cheaper so that they could either give us as consumers goods at cheaper prices or ultimately they could juice their profit margins. This year, over the last year or two, it's really come to an issue as the world shut down and these supply chains got really stunted. Companies were like, hey, maybe you know we should have some sort of reserve or backup in case this is to happen again. And so Constellation Brands kind of was ahead of, uh, of this shift and has been actually building and buying more factories, um, specifically in Mexico, to help manufacture and distribute a lot of their adult beverages. So they have three new plants coming. There's one that should be live next year, another one that should be live the year after, and then they have a really big facility that's 3X the size of the facility that's ready next year. That'll be opening up in 2026 and 2027. And basically those three facilities are going to help them not have to rely nearly as much on others for their supply chain issues. Investors have seen that, they love it. And the company has been doing really well, and you've seen sales rebounding over the last year or two. So long-winded answer, but basically Constellation is not only, you know, just a, a strong company that's growing and selling more of their beverages. They're also doing it in a really responsible way, making the necessarily necessary investments now to be stand, like stood up for the next 10 to 20 years of success. So this is a company we've loved for years. Everything we're seeing tells us we'll continue to love it for years to come. Um, and if you're looking to get involved in like a very defensive space, uh, like beverages where it's not as cyclical as you know, like tech companies, this is a really good way to to kind of park your cash um, in an investment that shouldn't be too volatile. It'll give you steady growth and just be kind of the backbone of your portfolio in, in times like this. And I love that. And as we think about defensive investing too, Justin, is there anything outside of like straight utilities we're looking at in terms of our long-term narratives? Um, or is it just like energy utilities and sort of like your less volatiles as you think about whatever direction the stock market could go? I mean, there's a lot of really interesting ways. So like right now, everything is very, very driven by the macro. I mean, if there's anything you take away from this podcast, the number one thing is to not fight the Fed. You might be hearing it elsewhere. 
If you're not familiar with what that means, basically, the Fed sets its policy with interest rates um, and ultimately with how much money they pump into the economy. And if they are being accommodative, it's good. And if they're not, then it's bad. And when I say that, what I mean is good for the market. If ultimately the Fed is rising interest rates, pulling money out of the market, history has shown us that the markets really can't grow um, in an environment like that. And so when we're saying don't fight the Fed, it's what you see the Fed doing. Don't try and invest in stocks like tech names, thinking they're going to reverse anytime soon, even if they're doing well, because the Fed is more important than the individual economics of the company. Um, so right now we are watching what the Fed is doing and trying to be smart around it. So to your point, utilities, energy, you know, defensive staples, those are names and sectors that will do really well. And then we have to find the stocks within them that would do well. Constellation Brands is definitely one of them. There's a lot of energy names we've talked about before. Our number one pick in the past that we've resurfaced this year again is a, a company called Texas Pacific Land Trust. They're up over 50% this year, which is insane if you think about how much of the market is actually down. So there's definitely ways to be smart and invest in the right ways, um, but ultimately need to be very, very aware of what the Fed is doing because this isn't a bull market right now where everything goes up. We need to be paying more attention and, and invest in smart defensive names right now. And I think it's really important, too, to make sure you're also thinking about, you know, your long-term plan as well. There's nothing wrong with, you know, bolstering your portfolio with your non-volatiles right now. Like, your ultimate goal as an investor should be, you know, getting out of the growth game entirely and getting into just straight dividends. So maybe right now, while you don't necessarily know which direction the prices are going to go, you pick your less volatile picks right now as well. Or you can also, you know, kind of check where the wind is blowing. And so one thing that uh, our dashboard actually caught this week that we didn't get a chance to call out but other folks managed to was um channel advisor uh which got acquired three days ago and its stock popped 53 percent and if you had been watching our politician dashboard you would have seen that several politicians one of them being tommy tuberville uh bought over a hundred thousand dollars of channel advisor stock pretty much you know, in the months before that actually happened. So, um, like, that's the thing we're looking at right now, too, at, on our dashboard is watching the amount of buy interest that's happening from Congress right now. There's a lot more buy than sell right now. And, Justin, like, what have you seen in terms of, like, directions that various stocks are going based on, like, our Congress tracker? Like, have you seen anything else that's been going down? Or um, is there anything else that you think we should be looking into as we sort of, like, watch, like, how these trades are playing out uh, with people who have borderline um, insider information, like the legality and corruption here is, uh, it's it's gray area at best. If you can make it work for you, may as well make it work for you, right? <laughs> totally. And for those of you who are not sure what Peter is referencing, basically we had built out a tool very recently in our app um, that shows you every single trade members of Congress and the House of Representatives and Senate are making. Um, sometimes there are small trades and significant, and other times there are larger trades and Either in the moment, they won't make sense, um, but always in retrospect, there, there's some inkling for the harder trades. So for example, we saw about a month or two ago that Nancy Pelosi had, her and her husband traded over $4 million um, of stock for NVIDIA. They sold it. And at the time, investors weren't sure why. And then the government, US government comes out earlier uh, this week um, and tells everyone that the NVIDIA and AMD and a bunch of these other companies aren't allowed to sell semiconductors anymore to China for national security reasons and a bunch of other reasons. So when Nancy Pelosi sells $4 million worth of stock a month ago, we might not have known why, but then we see today, well, 
we would assume that there is some sort of corruption and she knew that that was happening in some capacity. Once it was announced, the stock fell off of a cliff down like 20, 30%. Um, and she got ahead of that. So the long-winded way of ultimately getting at that, we built this tool so that if you see trades, whether they do or don't make sense, it's something to double click into so that if you're buying a stock, you see all these insiders selling it, you know, maybe they know something that you don't and vice versa. If they're buying a stock and you're selling it, maybe again, they know something you don't. You shouldn't be making, you know, decisions based off of this tool, but it can be used to supplement what you're already doing so that if you are going to buy a name and you see all of them buying this name as well, that's just another bull signal for you in the right direction. So really cool tool. I would highly recommend checking out. It's free, whether you're paying for Moby Premium or not. Um, it's just, I mean, at the end of the day, even if you're not investing with it, it's just cool seeing what like these insiders are buying and fun conversations to have with your friends at the very, at the very least. And what's really important too, is that you're using this again as a means by which to inform what you're thinking about as you invest, right? So the main thing that I'm doing right now is trying to understand as I look through our dashboard and see various things go a little bit outside what I might expect. The number one thing that uh, has been catching my eye is that there's been a bunch of buy and sell pressure for Formula One stock. We've been really happy with our price target for Formula One. That's been doing pretty well since we called out their potential for growing here in America. They're still growing really strong, but you know, revenue uh, is tough in a period like this. It gets a long-term play, but we're seeing a lot of sell pressure for Formula One as well as a lot of buy pressure for Formula One. Same thing for uh, for um, like Apple and Microsoft. We're finally seeing buy pressure on the congressional side come back, and so. Once again, we're just looking into trying to make sure we understand what's happening there. And audience, if you are um, not even if you're not, even if you're not a Moby.co member, a just check the link in the description. Or if I or if you just want to like jump right now, that's Moby.co slash Blanc slash Politician Insider Report with hyphens between all those words. But I'll have a link in the description for that for you to check out. So you can kind of see a broad-based dashboard. It's hard to you know get individualized trades but you can kind of like use these and then double click into them and get a better sense of where the market is going because again we're in this really wild period of a lot of noise not a lot of signal like it's a very again a very signal free period of the market we're trying really hard here to understand where the market is going but until we get hard data that is the CPI on September 13th. That is the sort of like confirmation that the Ethereum merge has started and is in process sometime around September 15th to the 20th, maybe even the 25th. And then, of course, the beginning of earnings season for Q3. That's the big, big moment. Everything comes down to October and like the middle and sort of like everything comes down to all of October and a little bit the beginning of November as we watch Q3 earnings. So if we've seen companies weather the storm and inflation get under control, we're going to zippity doodah right out of this bear cycle, maybe. And if we don't see that, we're going to see an extended kind of mediocre bear period, probably like not even like a spectacular collapse, but just I'm not again, we're not in the predictions business. That's just kind of like what the numbers look like right now. So again, Everything's up in the air right now, but our first true indication of where we're going in this market is that that date, September 13th. So, um, audience, really appreciate you being here with us as we sort of like sifted through all the noise, trying to find even the smallest scrap of signal. Before that moment, we're going to have an absolute blowout of a podcast next week as we think about this. But Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co, uh, any, any final thoughts from you before we go ahead and wrap this up? Anything else that you want us to make sure that we're thinking about as we think about being more defensive investors during this period of just genuinely wild uncertainty filled with lots of different directions for price movement? No, I think it's a, a good thing to cover so far. Everything we've covered to date has been uh, has been pretty good. There's obviously a lot to come in the, in the upcoming weeks, so excited to start talking about that stuff. 
I think past that, it definitely is a little bit quieter now. I mean, there's obviously a lot of fear in the marketplace. Um, I think the only other thing I'd want to just quickly touch on, uh, and then we will wrap this up, um, is talking through the energy crisis right now in Europe. Um, for Again, for those of you not paying attention or just not aware, uh, right now, Russia, again, is more or less cutting off their supply of energy to a lot of the European countries. Um, they're doing it for a handful of reasons, largely uh, given the stance of all the European countries um, with Russia and the Ukrainian war. But long story short, they are shutting off the supply of much of their energy uh, as one of the largest suppliers to Europe of energy. Um, and so in the US, we're seeing inflation largely due to energy prices, um, but things have been coming back down. Whereas in Europe, the inflation there actually like is insane. In the US, it pales in comparison relative to Europe. Um, they're seeing gas prices almost double what you're seeing in the U.S. You're seeing potentially double digit, over 20% inflation in some European countries. So for those of you who are based in the U.S., which is a majority of our audience, a lot of the names here um, are starting to rebound as things get better. But in Europe, a lot of these companies are going to be subject to pressures that they don't see here. So something just to be very cautious of, uh, very aware of for uh for those European-based companies, if they ultimately end up having a lot more pressure, depending on the business lines that they're in, I think ultimately their valuations have been hit a ton, especially in parts of Asia when we start navigating away from Europe. Um, but that's something to be highly aware of, just because inflation is coming down here in theory in America does not mean it is going away globally. It is a problem that is plaguing every nation and the supply chain and ultimately war with Russia and Ukraine is not helping anyone. And the most important thing to keep in mind, too, is that that's what really drove the bus for inflation for the longest time the past year and a half has been the supply side inflation, the supply chain collapse that was that happened in 2020, followed by ongoing energy crises that are just cascading out of Europe as, you know, Russia does, you know. Uh, it's extremely smart idea of invading Eastern Europe right now um, and then cutting off gas to to Eastern Europe. Of course, you know, Russia is still selling natural gas to China. So there's a potentiality of, you know, there being this weird thing where Europe just buys Russian gas from China or whatever. Um, but Justin, do you see this is mostly a natural gas problem, right? So do you see this cascading to energy energy prices across the board? Like, do we see oil prices going up in response to natural gas prices going up? Is this something that affects the entire energy sector? Or is this just something we should be watching natural gas and seeing how that cascades outward from the European markets? Yeah, the natural gas is a, a good question. I know that you have a lot of insight into this, so I can definitely reverse it back to you and see what you think as well. But I think the natural gas should be very interesting to watch as they shut down the, the pipeline. It should probably follow a similar trend, I would imagine. We have our analysts working on it right now, so I'd like to dive into that maybe more next week when we get some, some insight from them. Um, I don't want to speak too out of hand here, but definitely something to, to be watching out as well. I'm not sure if you have thoughts on the matter as well. This is mostly me just trying to shake some like, you know, preliminary insights out of the team. I didn't know if you guys had like finished, you know, what you were working on there, or at least had gotten some initial insights from that. So the main thing yeah, I mean, to watch, for us, yeah, yeah. it's, you know, I was going to, I got to let you finish in a second. I think for us, like just in general, um, we don't want to speak out of hand. And so everything you hear Peter and I usually discuss in this podcast is something that we've been spending months and months researching and we feel comfortable like giving kind of our recommendations or not recommendations, but just how we see the the world playing out. So when Peter's asking about the natural gas stuff, 
definitely happy to, to dive into preliminary thoughts, but don't want to lead people in the wrong direction until we fully baked out our thesis. Of course. And audience, what you're seeing there is just, you know, classic startup culture. Uh, the main reason I work at Moby.co is because I get access to all this really cool data and I get access to you know, this really brilliant anal analysis team, and I kind of get a sense of what the story is before stories actually break, right? Um, and that's, for me, most of the fun. That's why I'm here. I love really big data sets, and I love sort of like the mathematics, the statistical analysis, everything we have to do to understand those narratives. And so for me, the main fun here is being at the ground floor there. But to get back to your point, Justin, when we're thinking about natural gas, and we're thinking about, you know, the direction it's going, if these prices keep going up, if the supply choke you know, holds. Uh, one thing to actually watch is uh, food prices because natural gas is the most essential ingredient right now for making ammonia, which is the most important chemical we manufacture as a species, period. Like this is some sci-fi level existential nonsense where uh, we're going to be watching food prices as fertilizer and phosphorus prices go up as, you know, we keep choking out our supply of the thing we need to make fertilizers. You need fertilizers to maintain the crop yields. We need to like live on this planet because all the nitrogen we have is locked up in the atmosphere. It's a whole thing. Don't worry about it. It's not like the apocalypse or anything, but it's going to be very interesting watching food prices move from here, especially after a year of this Eastern European situation. How badly did the reduction in wheat supply affect all these downstream prices? I was expecting way worse stuff by now, but you know, crop yields in the U.S. have been pretty okay despite the fact there's, you know, droughts in California, the West Coast, a lot of our crop yields are getting a little bit goofy, but we are surviving. So the question is, are we exiting a difficult situation or are we entering a long period where food we're going to see supply-side inflation for food prices? Hard to say right now, but that's the main thing we're watching. We're watching those ammonia supplies, we're watching natural gas prices, and we're watching, you know, ammonia producers here in America, which is why we're still doing some more analysis on various stock uh, stocks in Oklahoma and Arkansas people and also banks who fund um natural gas production in those states and also then then therefore ammonia production uh, it's a whole thing don't uh, don't hold us to it just yet we're again a lot of what you're hearing we're telling you about it basically months after the fact unless like we have some old analysis that becomes validated by breaking news so just stick with us there audience either way justin that does bring us well past time audience thank you so much for all of your awesome questions justin thanks so much for keeping us on track in terms of thinking about the energy crisis in europe because i was just about to completely bail on it uh, and then one last chance here justin one more time any final thoughts for me before i go ahead and read the credits here i think we managed to cover like a surprisingly a large amount of ground despite the fact again it's all noise no signal today yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. Um, to exactly, exactly to that point, I think we need to ultimately wait until we can get some clarity from the market, from stocks, from the Fed as to what's going on. Anything you hear over the next week or two until more concrete things come out is likely just noise. Um, so try and filter it out. Uh, continue, you know, being that long-term investor. Sorry to sound like a a broken record. Um, but that's really what we want to focus on is just material impacts and material changes to the market, not, you know, day to day headlines that CNBC is trying to get you to click on. Precisely. And that's the thing that really works here at Moby.co. Uh, a lot of the sort of stock information providers you see on the internet are actually journalist-led and then analysts are beneath that. We reverse that. 
the journalists here kind of follow the analysts, and that's led to a lot of us being a lot more right about our analysis as we're using the boring stuff first and just finding a way to make that more interesting rather than just chasing every possible narrative the way, you know, your CNBCs, your Barrons, your FTs have to do in order to sort of get clicks. And the only way that happens, audience, is through your direct support. So thank you so much for making it um, easy for us to do the good analysis by supporting us the way you have for the past two years. We're really excited to keep growing this product. We're really excited to keep growing with you as we build out some really more awesome aspects in our product moving forward. But for now, audience, the main thing to keep in mind is, you know, take a breather, you know, have a glass of water, gear up, save your energy because uh, things are going to ramp up in whatever direction next week. It's game time next week, or if you're listening to this, it's game time tomorrow. We'll be able to give you as much of a reaction to it as possible as soon as possible once we understand where the CPI is and how the market reacts to it next week. Either way, audience, thank you so much for listening. Just so you know, audience, this podcast was produced and hosted by me, Peter Starr, all the intellectual sourcing for our podcast concern analysis team, which is led by our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst, and partner here, Justin Kramer, here on this podcast. If you have any questions for us, you can hit us up either at hello@mobi.co or understand that this podcast is recorded live on Discord. You can find a link to our Discord in the link to the podcast in the link of the podcast description below. Any other questions for us, hit us up again via email. Otherwise, audience, thank you so much for listening. And as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.